Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole, and this is the Wild for Change podcast, a podcast celebrating people and organizations making a difference for animals and nature. We'll be discussing their inspiration, work, and why our connection with the natural world is important for all of us. everyone. Welcome to the Wild for Change podcast. On today's podcast, we'll be learning about biomimicry with Lexa Mori, Communications Director for the Biomimicry Institute. There's a quote from Frank Lloyd Wright that seems to sum up for me how to describe biomimicry. Study nature, love nature, stay close to nature. It will never fail you. Biomimicry is a practice that imitates or mimics nature to help find solutions to challenges we face in today's world. If we think that life has been sustained on earth for billions of years, we can see the benefits of using nature as our role model and tap into her wisdom to help solve these challenges. Biomimicry can be used to find solutions in areas such as agriculture, construction, food waste, energy, fashion, and architecture. To quote the Biomimicry Institute, Biomimicry is about valuing nature for what we can learn, not what we can extract, harvest, or domesticate. In the process, we learn about ourselves, our purpose, and our connection to each other and our home on earth. And with that, I would like to welcome Lex on the show. Thank you, Lex, for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be connecting with you and everyone listening. I am super excited because I have been following biomimicry for so long and have been interested in it. And when I had the opportunity to be able to speak to you about it, I became super excited because I have had all these questions about it that I think would be great for other people to learn about as well. So what I first wanted to ask is, how did you become involved with biomimicry? Oh, thank you for asking that. Wow. Biomimicry is something that, you know, I get asked a lot about like what that even means. And I can honestly say it's a newer concept to me, but it's not actually a super new concept. It's been coined biomimicry for a couple of decades now from uh, Janine Benyus, but it's really something that we've been practicing for since Leonardo da Vinci. So For me, I was actually managing a sustainability PR firm and working with amazing people, doing really amazing things in terms of climate action and sustainability. And I had been there for a few years and I I wanted to do more. I felt like we were really in a bad place with the climate as we still are now, but I was dealing with climate grief. I struggled a lot trying to find out I can do more. There were marches, there's raising awareness, there's advocating for renewable energy, but I still, I felt like I wanted to do more. And I came across this one talk from Dana Baumeister and she introduced me to the concept of biomimicry. And all of a sudden in the midst of my climate grief, I felt hope for the first time in many years. And that hope led me to action. And so I pursued my master's in biomimicry, studied under Dana, and it gave me a path to find these kinds of solutions. And along the way, I found the Biomimicry Institute and found my home with being able to really be on the front lines of this kind of education and advocacy for looking to nature to solve these kinds of grand challenges that we have. You know, there's this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. that has always stuck with me. And he said, if you lose hope, somehow you lose the vitality that keeps life moving. You lose that courage to be that quality that helps you go on in spite of it all. It's part of his, I have a dream speech. And we have so much work to do across environmental and social justice issues. And To me, asking nature is a way to critically think about these problems and come up with new 
innovative solutions while also healing our bodies and our souls of that mere reconnection to our true nature, which is part of the natural world. So biomimicry is, to me, it's so much more than product design, though that is a big part. It's about designing our lives to live in reciprocity with the natural world knowing that we are part of the natural world. So from knowing this, like I could never look back, which is why I love having conversations about this and hopefully connecting with some people that are having challenges in their own design problems, but also with their own place in this world and what to do and where to go next. I love that. It's so true about hope. And I'm sure like what you said, you just sort of lost that when you were doing your PR work. And seeing all the challenges that we're coming up against with the climate and turning to the Biomimicry Institute and seeing that there really are some, there are true solutions and all we have to do is look outside and there she is. She provides us with all the answers, which is like, it's mind blowing to think that because I think most of us don't even pay attention or realize that, that there are these solutions right at our fingertips. We just need to know how to cultivate that. Right. Well, we do get lost a lot in our our day-to-day worlds. We see only what we see and we've gotten really disconnected from the world that surround us and how really truly interconnected we all are. And actually one of the benefits from this terrible, you know, pandemic that has hurt so many lives and taken many lives is that one side is really looking at what's valuable and how many more people are now going outside and reconnecting with the earth and the world and finding these different ways of living and being. There's so much interconnectedness that we don't actually see until we are exposed to it, which is why, you know, why we're here is to talk about how we can get that exposure. And that's part of the mission with the Institute is to raise awareness and education and empower people to actually bring this kind of a both scientific and spiritual practice into their lives. Yes. Right on, Lex, right on. So I know that biomimicry has always existed. Like you said, you mentioned Leonardo da Vinci and how he did mimic nature in in many of his art forms and work. But how did the Institute begin? Great question. So the Institute was actually founded in 2006 by Janine Benyus and Brian Schron. And so... Janine actually wrote the book in the late 90s, Biomimicry Innovation Inspired by Nature. And through that, she also was doing consulting. And so the Institute was formed as a way to initially work directly with educators from K through 12, university, even non-formal environments like museums and zoos and aquariums. And the goal was to naturalize biomimicry in the educational system. And then in about 2008, the Institute launched Ask Nature, which is an online platform. And it was made to help students and practitioners look to nature for this kind of advice and design inspiration. And today, now it serves as the largest living database of biological strategies, and we have innovations on there. So imagine if you had a question that you wanted to ask nature, that's going to be your best place to start. And it's designed in a way that we look to function. And that's really what biomimicry is about, is we're we're mimicking how nature does something. And so you can go in there and ask, you know, how does nature illuminate, create light or shape in this form? So that's our big foundation of asknature.org is the place to go to, to get that kind of inspiration. But since then we've evolved to now, we actually have three main initiatives that we work with. And so we continued with education track, of course. And so we have youth education support. We work with actual educators themselves in training them to be able to bring this kind of curriculum that we've designed into their classrooms. And the curriculum is not only aligned to NGSS standards and national science standards, but it can really integrate into any kind of STEM or even STEAM curriculum. And what's beautiful about it is 
honestly, I wish I would have had this kind of curriculum growing up because if I would have known, (laughs) right, at such a young age that... I could solve for these problems in my own backyard, but I also, that side benefit of if someone had told me when I was young that I have my place here because I am nature, I could have felt so much more enough and worthy at a young age. Oh my God, completely. (laughs) Yeah. Totally relate. Yeah. But go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. I love this because it really, it is about relating. And that's the core. We, of course, we frame it and package it in a way for educators because it is helping them. We know that educators don't have a lot of time. And so we're getting exactly to what they need to see from an engineering standpoint, science. It is supposed to be easily dropped into their curriculum. And ultimately at the end of the youth design challenge, these students make incredible, real tangible ideas come to life for solving these problems. But it's also that extra benefit of how amazing it is to look to nature and take the classroom outside. And so education is one side. We've got Ask Nature as our way to have design inspiration. And then the last pillar is entrepreneurship. And so we're really working closely with startups to be able to basically help them accelerate and scale. And we have the Ray of Hope Prize program. And then I know we'll, we'll dig into a little deeper. It's really a way to give these innovators the tools that they need to make their nature inspired design get closer to commercialization. And that's oh, so that is... a lot, <laughs> but it's everything from like the youth all the way to the startups and the design so that with the main mission of making nature part of every design decision that we do. My mind's blown. <laughs> Especially just thinking about forward thinking and progress with our world Mm. of where, like, in my own aspect of how I see life, like having nature inspired designs is just next level of really just helping us all heal, helping the earth heal, taking care of each other. I mean, Mm. just being more aware of actually the support we do get from nature that we don't even realize is, is there. Yes, you nailed it, Nicole. It's healing. Nature is healing in so many different ways. It's healing to ourselves. And it's also healing to the, the challenges that we face today. There's a way that we can learn and redesign what we're doing. I do have a question about the children and what they learn about biomimicry, but I'll get back to that. Okay. I wanted to ask, is there a simple example you could give listeners of how biomimicry is used? Yes, though it may not come out as simple as I thought. (laughs) (laughs) So let's uh, imagine that you have a, a design problem. Say, for example, in cold weather, we have, it's, you know, turning fall in the uh, Northern America and you, let's say cold weather is approaching and we've done so much great work with renewable energy in wind turbines, but the, you know, there's ice that builds up on wind turbine blades and this can impact performance. It can even damage the turbine. So a middle school group of kids from Vancouver, Canada saw this problem. No way. And- And they look to nature to find creative ways that the natural world deals with reducing frost. And they actually saw that mint and lotus leaves offer great examples that use form. So like the bumpy surfaces and the ridges on the leaves. And this inspired the team to mimic these forms to retrofit existing turbines by laser engraving blades with the pattern that mimicked the texture of the mint leaves. And then they added a hydrophobic coating inspired by the lotus leaves that both resist the ice buildup and they repel water to inhibit future ice formation. So with energy being such a big contributor to global greenhouse gas emissions, renewable energy solutions, they have to be efficient. So this is a simple yet still complex way to essentially see that these are teenagers finding innovative solutions that nature has already created amazing ideas for us to use in our design world. Wow. 
So like ultimately it's not, it's about asking what would nature do here and what would nature not do here? And then we have this, you know, scientific academic based methodology of looking to the biology and then working through these iterations of how to apply different design principles to our products and services and processes so that we ultimately can create conditions conducive to life. So the design that these kids came up with and were inspired by nature. Now, was that able to, could you elaborate on the process? Like they thought of this design, how could it come to fruition? Great question. So this is actually part of our youth design challenge. This particular group, they were part of the Knowledge Society in Quebec. And so they participated in doing this rubric and they they were one of our finalists for last year's design challenge or program cycle. And so here there's a couple different tracks that could be taken. If these youth want to continue on continuing this, this idea and this formation, you know, ideally in a world that they could create their own startup, getting out of high school, joining our Launchpad Accelerator program and like creating a real company that produces this. And this is giving like an alternative to traditional college, university education. And so what you don't see is through the curriculum, they learn every aspect. Like these are, they create prototypes in this, oh, this wow. program. So it's for them to be able to see like, this is an idea, but at the same time, you know, you've got a middle school teenager, maybe they don't want to create a company. Maybe they just want to share this idea with the world. And so we have a whole gallery of solutions that essentially are building up this repertoire of ideas that engineers can also take and to be able to continue to make real products out of them. So what we're really getting from these younger kids is both the inspiration for our own inner childs to be able right. to have that creativity, but also these genius ideas that we hadn't thought of yet. So there's so many different paths that they could take, but obviously, you know, these are young kids and we're seeing a whole new generation of creating companies at 16 years old. It's wild. It so, so amazing. It's really opening up different kinds of doors for them, but really the amazing also takeaway is it takes one teacher, one mentor one person to be able to empower a child and change the trajectory of their life. And being able to be exposed to this kind of education could be that difference where regardless of their status, their culture, their background, if they have access to this kind of education, it can literally open every possible door that they would want because it's both creative, but it's also rooted in a science in a way that it can literally be applied to every industry, every problem, everything that we're facing, because it's a whole new lens that puts us back into context with the world that we're dealing with right now. So like you said, it just takes that one person to make a change for that child and introducing them to biomimicry can open up all these doors for them and change their whole life, but support them and change their life. And then in return, change our lives for the better. Exactly. Yes. That's the hope. (laughs) It's like, it's just this beautiful cycle. Yeah. And And imagine also the empowerment these kids get from realizing that they make an impact. I can't even imagine being in their shoes, how excited they must feel. Right. Like we're looking at generations that are rising up and saying, I want action now. We need to act on the climate. We need to act on social justice. We need to act on all these things that are happening now. You're taking away my future. And instead we're like, all right, you've got challenges. We all need to work on this, but let's also empower you to feel like you can make a difference because you do. And they are making a difference. And that right there changes from the helplessness to the action and taking control of one's life and being part of the solution. Totally, totally. Because how many people, and including myself, would say, I'm just one person, what can I do? Mm -hmm. But then teaching somebody at such an early age and giving them that inspiration and support and motivation to do something like that changes everything, everything. Yes. Wow. Well, I knew there was a reason why I was so excited to talk to you today. <laughs>
So I wanted to just mention that as I was reading, the science of biomimicry has three essential elements. And I thought it was important to mention for you to explain what those three elements are. Yes. Thank you so much, because that is one thing that I've been trying to further with the education in in many different aspects, because we do run the risk of having some shallow biomimicry practiced. And what I mean by that is part of the practice of biomimicry is looking to function. So you have this scientific research-based practice of learning from and then replicating the forms and the processes and these full ecosystem reach to create more regenerative designs, learn from nature. I think this is the emulate part. And it's not enough though some to just mimic the form. We also have to incorporate these two other essential elements where one is reconnect. And this is the concept that we are nature and we find value in connecting to our place on earth as part of this interconnected system. So the reconnect practice is about encouraging us to observe and spend time in nature and really understand how life works so that we can have a better ethos to emulate biological strategies in our designs. And so that third element is that ethos. And the ethos is about the philosophy of understanding how how life works and how we can create conditions conducive to life. It's about our responsibility to look at the entire picture. How are we designing every aspect of the process? What is our end result going to be when it is in that natural environment, wherever we design it? What's going to happen to the products at the end of the use cycle? And it's looking at how really everything that we do matters. And so the design has to look at all these elements. And We are imperfect humans and our designs and the materials that we have available, there is no way to make something that is completely perfectly aligned with nature, unless you're talking about, you know, something like Ecovative, which is mushroom packaging and insulation that's literally using nature, but doing it in a way that is biodegradable. So it's what we have to work with. Biomimicry is about looking at the context of where we're at right now and realizing that we make mistakes and we've gotten ourselves into a pretty big mess. But when we look at how we can learn from nature in a way that is considering all aspects of the context we have available to us right now and respecting the boundaries and then very importantly, offering gratitude to the life that we've been inspired by and that we're putting place in. That's when really all three elements come to a beautiful, harmonious reciprocity for nature. So we're designing for nature, learning from nature, and all of it is interconnected. So we can avoid that kind of you know, shallow approach to biomimicry. Right. Wow. I was really taken by when I was reading about the elements, like you said, there are so many things that you look at that are the shallow form of biomimicry. But when you put these three essential elements together, then you truly can see the full force of how to use it to the best of our ability and be inspired by nature. Yes. Super cool. You had mentioned earlier about the Ray of Hope prize. Can you explain to listeners what that is? Yes. Love to. It's everything that we do at the Institute. I say like, I'm excited about it all because it, it really feels like we're making a difference. And with the Ray of Hope prize, it's a program that serves to scale nature inspired startup companies. And this is really important because we know the startup space in general can be challenging for a lot of companies. Oh, totally. Yes. So what we do is we actually, we've got hundreds of applications each year. It usually closes around November, December. We are actually working on right now, opening up the registration for the next year for 2022, but it's a 10 week program that when you're selected as a finalist to participate, usually we get between eight and 12 startup companies that make it to this round. We work with them to refine their science communication. They learn about sustainable business practices. 
They are connected to industry mentors, potential investors. And at the end of the program, an expert panel of judges that we select each year, like last year we had Nature Conservancy, and we also had someone from Patagonia, and of course, Janine Benyus, they select a recipient. And that recipient then gets awarded a $100,000 equity-free prize to help further their research and development. Wow. And then we also have a runner-up to the prize that gets a chunk of money. And then the rest of our finalists also get some financial support and everyone gets the kind of outreach communication support for what they're doing. And in the past two years, actually, since COVID happened, we started making animated videos that are really short, easy to digest, two to three minute videos that are brilliantly done that really breaks down the science. So you're talking about what's the problem, what's the solution, and how is it inspired by nature? And that helps us to really understand like how incredible some of these teams are. Right. And so the goal is obviously is to bring them closer to commercialization. So last year in 2020, Econcrete took home the grand prize after creating a solution that was inspired by marine ecosystems and serving for marine ecosystems. And the runner up was Cypress Materials, and they created a super cool spray on paint that is tunable and non-toxic and it was inspired by the morpho butterfly that uses structural color rather than pigments. And this year, the recipient award went to Spintex, which I'd you know be happy to talk even deeper about their incredible solution. Yes, really talks about like what is happening with the fashion industry. I am so on that. So they won for 2021, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I love their name, by the way. <laughs> it is really cool. It's a UK-based company. And it's just fascinating to me because on one end at the Institute, we also work really heavily with the fashion industry because textiles, it's an industry that is searching for some serious sustainable technologies and solutions that we need to reduce waste, pollution, greenhouse gas emissions, and to help further the circular economy that we all want to see. Right. So Spintex is actually able to not only replace the silk that's used in fashion, but also oil-derived synthetic fibers, which have their own other slew of challenges. And their process is actually a thousand times more efficient than equivalent synthetic fibers. And this is all thanks to the amazing spider's ability to create silk. And the way that they do this is with their spinnerets. So these are specialized organs that turn liquid silk, like a gel, in the spider's abdomen into a solid thread. And obviously we all have seen spider webs and how beautiful right. and they are. And so after years of research into this mechanism from the spider, the company Spintex created this ability, mimic this ability to spin textile fibers from a liquid gel at room temperature with only water and biodegradable textile fibers as their only output. It's, it's is, incredible. It doesn't even sound like it could happen. Like it's so <laughs> out there that you're like, how did they even, how were they even able to come up with that? Right. And also at the same time, it's why didn't we think of this sooner? Right. <laughs> so as they scale, they're not only going to transform textile capabilities and what's happening right now in the fashion industry, but they are also going to improve the way that they're able to design. So like having better performing stretch capabilities, you know, in clothing and embedding color. And again, this is all to create these biodegradable, non-bioaccumulating textiles and bioaccumulating we know is, you know, we have a lot of carcinogens that are being displaced in our environment. And there's right. been a lot of unfortunate substitutions for some of the design changes that we've made. So this is, they were awarded because of how amazing of an example they are in terms of 
mimicking nature and functional capacity, but it's also for the industry that we're not sacrificing performance or the needs and the demands of what this product ultimately needs to serve as. And it's got the ethos component of really making sure that it is biodegradable and that it is creating conditions conducive to life, just like nature does. So it's, I'm very inspired by what they created and their animated video with the rest of them is, is so fun to watch just because we get to see it in action. Wow. So you touched on it before. Could you explain maybe a little bit more for me, like what their design means for our environment? Because I know with fast fashion, there is a lot of waste, a lot of textile waste, then a lot of the clothes end up going into flown from the United States to places in Africa where even the clothes there are not bought or used. And then they end up in the streets. They end up in our oceans. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So what does it mean for us as far as our environment that they've created this? new textile. Yeah. So we have so many challenges as you've touched on a lot of them here with the fashion industry. One of the things that we actually created from the Institute, I think we published that in June, 2020. So we're coming, it's a little over a year now. We're in the pilot project for it now, but we released a a report called the nature of fashion. And part of it was really looking at all these grand challenges in the textile industry. So one of the big themes of was this concept of decomposition. And that is something that is completely missing from almost all of our industries, but definitely the fashion industry. So this kind of solution really, really nails it when it comes to that we have so many textiles, so many fibers, microplastics, all these things ending up in our, not just landfills, obviously, but our our waterways and the pollution builds up to where we literally have giant islands. It's not just plastics, but it's also like a lot of our clothes are also forms of plastic. Right. And so this kind of solution, it is creating a really hard, durable fiber that can be threaded, that ultimately can serve in different materials that biodegrade. So it's really looking at that decomposition aspect of how in nature, nothing is looked at as waste. Everything is a resource. So it's closing the loop and it's offering designers an alternative to synthetic fiber so that they can continue to do their work. As much as, I mean, wild for change, it's we want change. And I think What we've done before, I think with the sustainability movement is we've wanted to completely transform, radicalize, revolutionize industry, change everything. And that's daunting. That is something that like, (laughs) why, how many people have stuck their heads in the sand or tried to not want to do anything about these issues because they feel like it's so much bigger than what we can do. So while we want change, what Spintex offers as a solution is how can we add on to the industry now in the current context that we're working with to make positive changes at an incremental level that actually makes a difference. And so that's what gives me hope in that side is that it's something that the textile industry can use and that it will help everyone's goals in reducing waste, reducing emissions, reducing the toxicity of our own waterways. There's so many incredible benefits that can be extracted from this one simple, elegant solution. Now I get it. And it closed the loop for me. Like you said, it closes the loop of being able to biodegrade and it could be used in many other forms. And like you said, we have a lot of plastic in our clothing that we don't even realize that ends up in our waterways, especially when we wash our clothes. Mm -hmm. So this is really making a difference on so many levels. The ripple effect could go so far and wide. It's like, it's mind blowing to me that they were able to create that. Similarly, one of our finalists from the Ray of Hope Prize last year, Werewolf, they looked at color for fashion and you see all these vibrant colors and a lot of them are unfortunately toxic dyes. So the more that you wash your clothes, the more that you're actually leaking out some of these 
materials that are just not healthy for the environment. And they're honestly, if they're not healthy for the environment, they're likely not healthy for you either. Right. So where will mimic the way that the discosoma coral creates these vibrant colors under sea, you know, without heat beat or treat measures. And so they're mimicking that same kind of, it's actually a protein that is in the coral so imagine werewolf being able to take on these vibrant, bright colors that we all love and want to continue to wear. And then you've got someone like Spintex that's you know changing the way that the fiber is actually created so that it biodegrades and can hold these colors. And now imagine if everyone came together to work on all the other functional challenges that we have, we have a whole new wardrobe that can biodegrade that is giving back to the planet and ourselves, making us healthier, safer, and it's still profitable. That's another really key important part. It's not just about doing this because it's right for the world. It is, by the way, it definitely is, but it's beyond the moral responsibility and into like, this is efficient cost-saving time-saving measures. That's going to help everyone's bottom line. However, you're looking at it. Wow. I am so thrilled that biomimicry exists. (laughs) I meant to ask you, how did Janine, what is her background? Janine is a trained biologist. Okay. Yes. And so she is actually working on her next book, which is going to be, it's so exciting because there are universal patterns that are found in nature. And so Janine was really inspired by the idea that, you know, as a biologist, starting to see both you know, as I said, she wrote the book in the 90s. So imagine the sustainability movement then, and we're having all these issues. You have this biologist that starts to come across like, wait, there are solutions here. Like how if we're looking at farming and we're looking at these industrial methods for getting food and, but how is it that a prairie is able to function with all these different species and organisms being so resilient and powerful and, and still you know, living together with diversity and this resilience, how can we mimic our food systems to match the way that a prairie functions? And so she started asking some of these really big, amazing questions. And eventually, you know, it turned into a, an actual practice where we have a, a design spiral that walks people through exactly how to ask nature the right kinds of questions to bring in these really amazing solutions. And she continues to be like such an amazing force in the world. Like I, every time I hear her, I'm just in awe of her mind. And a beautiful lesson that I've learned from her too is this collaboration that we have is nothing in nature is done in silo and that interconnectedness that we've already talked about today. It's when you have the best kind of design table, like imagine if you're having a architectural structure or building in a new city, how it's been before is people in their industries, like you've got the construction team, you've got the architect working on the plans. You've got all these people working in silo. Imagine at the beginning, if everyone sat down at the table, you had a biologist sitting there and a biomimicry person that was trained sitting there and you had everyone talking about every stage of the design process and the implications. It it sounds tedious at first because this is how we work right now in our scarcity mentality. But if we prioritize collaboration in the beginning, how much more incredible ideas that we would come up with and also anticipate the unintended consequences that we could avoid by just all coming together. And so I've always really appreciated how collaborative she is in industry and wanting to, it's not about fame. It's not about trying to make a name. It's about helping people and helping people help themselves to then help everything in the world. So that has always been really inspiring to me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because when you're helping yourself, you're actually helping Everyone, whether you realize it or not, in some way, it could be a small way, but there is always a ripple effect. Yes. Wow. That is so inspiring. I did listen to one of her TED Talks and I was like this podcast blown away by Mm -hmm. what she had to say. Just never, you know, we don't think, like you said before, we don't necessarily think outside of the box and it, and all we have to do is look outside the box and get a lot of answers. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> As I was doing research for our podcast today, I read that, which was mind blowing to me, the operation of buildings represents 40% of all the energy used by humanity. So that's a lot of energy globally being used to run. So finding the solutions to design more sustainable buildings needs to be a viable concept for architects and city planners. And so how could biomimicry help with that? Is there a way? Absolutely. Definitely. I mean, starting with that, that idea of collaboration in the beginning is one place, but biomimicry looks at the in forms, processes, and systems. And currently our cities are functioning in silo. Everything is, you know, working at its own unique little area. And so architecture is actually prime for biomimicry solutions because it's essential, because of its essential design element, we can bring in nature strategies that are cost-effective and efficient at conserving energy. Construction waste is also a really big problem and building insulation is a key factor. So one other example is a company from our Ray of Hope Prize cohort this year. It's called Biome. So they looked at this problem directly and they created a bio-based building materials company that makes insulation from mycelium. And so that's the root structure of mushrooms and it's a hundred percent natural sheet materials and it's made out of bio waste and a plant-based binder. And wow. so their building materials are actually more affordable and they outperform current products on the market, which is incredible. And so they've embraced this circular design not only signifying this amazing inspiration that it's possible, but they're also looking at the systemic nutrient cycling that's found in nature. And that is the process that's being mimicked here because one of the key indicators is a partner in biomimicry is bio-utilization. There's some things in nature, like why reinvent the wheel if nature's already doing it really well. So that's where so long as it's being used in a sustainable way, then that's where biomimicry and biodiversity really come together. So biome is actually transforming really the construction industry to create more sustainable built environment. So there's this idea of materials. There's this idea of the actual design functioning for how architects can design buildings that are really it's about place too. Like, how is it fitting in with that biome? I think in the eighties, we had this, you know, series of designs that went, you could build it in Nevada, you could build it in New York, you could build it in all these different places. And they weren't considering the climate of actually what's the materials and how it's going to function there, air conditioning, uh, how you can maximize flows through a building so you, you can have passive airflow. There's all these kinds of concepts that we can integrate. And so now we're looking at how we can design for a specific place, utilize those passive materials that are coming through, like whether or not that's wind or having available materials that are locally sourced. And then there's, you know, sanitation is also a big issue in cities. So that's part of this process. And one example that solved for this problem, particularly is change water labs and, The founder, Diane, she's another amazing inspiration innovator that it's really incredible for her story, but she worked with essentially trying to create a solution for having safe, clean sanitation in a way that's inspired by uh, the way plants use evapotranspiration. And so they evaporate the water out of waste And her first approach was deploying it in off-grid rural communities and refugee communities, which is something that is obviously like incredibly important and lack of access. So what we really need, I think, for architecture, construction, all these industries combined is it's just a, we need the design process to change and to have everyone sitting down at the same table, discussing the stages of these use and the products and the designs and just thinking about the repercussions that our choices are going to have, and then collaborating and working together to find the best solutions for what we're working with. So there's so much opportunity for this industry to really look at it. And a lot, I mean, the built environment has looked to, I mean, that's one of the most 
forward-thinking industries for the circular economies. They're already looking at closed-loop systems and safer materials. I think it's just bringing in, embedding more this idea of the functional research in nature and looking at that place of what we can learn from the existing environment and design specifically for it. So have you seen that Biome has been able to help with some of the design of new buildings or maybe even existing buildings that maybe need some kind of redesign structure help? Yes. Yes. I mean, as the, I mean, when we're looking at construction waste, absolutely. And this is a startup also. So they're, they're just one of many different solutions that are coming out into the world. It's again, how we can equate to the fashion industry. Like we're looking at these components for people in industry to use now and what I really appreciate about a lot of the materials and the processes coming through is, again, it's coming back to that adding on to the system rather than trying to create a whole new you know, built environment overnight. It's let's look at what we have now and how we can improve it with the solutions that are available in manufacturing right now. Which makes it so much easier and less daunting yes. for manufacturers. Yes. In this moment, it doesn't feel like it's a whole whirlwind and turning their world upside down on how they do their process already. Exactly. Which makes it so much easier. And then just be able to add these concepts into what already exists. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So awesome. With all of the challenges that we face today, where would you say biomimicry has been able to make the most progress? Architecture is definitely one of them. Transportation has also made some headway. The bullet train is a very well spoken about example. And the medical technology is also making some headway with biomimicry. Like Sharklet is one that is mimicking shark skin. They have this uh, microscopic pattern. And so they've used it to redesign catheters and other surgical instruments. Oh, wow. Um, Robotics, aerospace, NASA, you know, they've also done a lot with biomimicrites. That part is not quite my expertise, but I'm I'm aware of the innovations happening in that space. It's really inspiring to see. And energy. I think energy we've got wind turbine designs, we've got other kinds of passive ventilation or other even mechanical inspiration that's had different kinds of solutions for the energy spacing, making this more renewable energy is already more efficient. So there are industries that are making a lot of way, but I'd say that we still have so much work that we need to do. And it's, and the more that we can inspire people to see that this is not some daunting challenge to bring into, you don't have to be a trained You don't have to have a master's in biomimicry. You don't have to even hire a biomimic. There's some basic training that you could do. And it's really just about looking about how to ask nature. And the more people get excited about this, I think the quicker we'll be able to expedite some transformations across industries. As I'm sure there are people that have something in their mind that some kind of Mm -hmm. design that they've been thinking about for a long time that might be able to work and help in some way or form. with what we face today. Yes. Where would you say biomimicry would be needed the most? Ooh, that's a hard question everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I I guess, like I was thinking the fashion industry. So there's two parts to this. So where it's needed most, but then it's also where I see is realistic to jump into because it's really about where the people are ready to change and how we can add on to those existing systems. Makes sense. Yeah, but fashion really is, it's a big place. It's its an industry so ripe for change. Food security, having more resilient infrastructure for the internet, for energy grids. We need better forms for water purification. I would really like to see more innovations coming out of material chemistry to make it more life-friendly. And I actually see looking at our education system, though, and the creative thinking opportunities for kids to connect with the natural world and find their place and use these critical thinking skills to play an active role in their own systems. That would be really brilliant to see just widespread in there. We're reaching thousands of students through our curriculum, but I want to see legislation add this as a priority of us looking at 
how our education system can function like nature does and how we can make this kind of curriculum essential for all kids growing up. Well, I think the time is ripe (laughs) for this all to transpire and, and happen because we definitely need it. And like you gave that example about those kids in Vancouver with their idea about the frost. I mean, children are so open and so creative that inspiring them can really help change our world. Yes. So how can educators learn to bring biomimicry into their classrooms? Well, we've done a lot of the heavy lifting for them with this curriculum. And we actually, for this year, we spent a lot of months working directly with the educators who had already participated and then those that had not. And revamped our curriculum again this year to make it really serve the best that it could for educators. So this is a freely available resource on our site that whether or not an educator wants to actually have their class go ahead and create a real design solution, like the one that I'd mentioned before, is up to them. They could also just bring elements of the curriculum into their classroom. And so we've got the curriculum itself, but we also know that with educators, if, if they don't feel comfortable teaching certain topic areas, then it's not going to fit into their syllabus. So we also offer professional learning opportunities and these are workshops for educators. So we teach them how to teach their kids and oh, it's brilliant. really available. So we make everything. Another thing I really appreciate about the Institute is everything that we do is open access. It is designed to be freely available to anyone who wants to learn. And as someone who went through, you know, deep, deep education on this, it's one of the greatest gifts I can give is to making this more accessible to others. So we've got the professional learning development, we've got the curriculum, and we also have other different ways to engage with our youth education initiative in terms of getting more just one-on-one guidance and support from learning these kinds of challenging at times aspects. But our hope is to really make it easily accessible. And these teachers, they also work really closely with Ask Nature. And so there's so many resources available on Ask Nature's website beyond the curriculum as well. So like little worksheets, activities, things that you can take your class outside and do for a day, just completely designed there for you to be able to engage. So I think about all those times when I had a, you know, a movie played and it was like a slower day. Like imagine instead if we had this worksheet that was available, we could go outside and and play while also like reconnecting with the natural world. Right. Learning from nature. Mm-hmm. I love that idea that biomimicry has this information already available for people who want to bring this into their classroom and make it easy for them to do so and learn how to introduce it to their classes. Mm-hmm. So you're really just a huge support for all <laughs> of this. Cool. Yeah. That's why it's work is also so rewarding. Exactly. Wow. I love that. What would you say as a specialist in biomimicry, what would you say is the biggest lesson or are some of the biggest lessons we can learn from nature? I love that. Well, natural systems abide by universal patterns. And so in nature, there's no concept of waste. Everything is a resource. Nature is locally attuned and adaptive to its surrounding environment. Nature is resilient. I mean, imagine how palm trees resist storms and disturbances, and yet our buildings crush in a giant wave. Like there's so many resilience that we can learn from nature. Nature creates win-win situations. There's mutualism involved. There's reciprocity involved. It builds on Abundant resources, uses safe chemistry, materials, runs on feedback loops and information. And nature is intimately and intricately connected to every element. It's what we miss in our world today, especially us as individual humans that are often alone in our unique echo chambers, disconnected from the very real interconnected world in which we actually live. So well said, Lex. I really do love the fact that for me personally, the biggest lesson I've seen is the interconnection 
and how we don't feel that. And yet we are, we just don't see it or realize it or feel it, but it's there. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about biomimicry is it really does show that there is this connection that we all have because we are nature, like you said. So you can never be disconnected, just have to realize it and look. Right. And that's the lens. That's the perspective. Right. Thank you for that. How could people use biomimicry in their daily life? I love that one because it definitely, it's a question that takes us out of just industry and design because you know we're all designers and you literally, you design what you're going to wear. You design how your day is going to go. You design how you live in your home. You, you design every single aspect of your life. So you can use biomimicry as a way to first, importantly, connect with the natural world. That reconnect element is so essential to your well-being, your health, your connection to this, you know, this bigger life that we have here and make conscious decisions and choose wisely for what kind of products you're buying, looking at the packaging, looking at all these different kinds of elements. And that's really bringing in the, that ethos component of our responsibility to be as wise and as compassionate as we can in the moment that we're offered that kind of present of mind. And so that presence, that mindful awareness, it's thinking about how you are part of this bigger system, how you have a role to play, you make a difference. And so even if you're not literally designing something that's emulated by a particular function in nature, you can create processes and a system in which you live in harmony and balance with the world around you. And that's really what it's about. It's just about seeing through this lens and this perspective that you are connected, you are part of the greater whole, your choices matter. And we're working within the context that we are right now. So finding some acceptance for the mistakes that you've made and the mistakes you will inevitably make in the future and just doing the best thing that you can. What is the next best thing you can do right here in this moment? And that is biomimicry in your daily life. Great answer. Truly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Reflection. Reflection is a big deal of what, how you're living your life. I know you had mentioned asknature.org is a way that people can actually learn about biomimicry and what we can learn from nature. What are other ways people can learn more about biomimicry? Yes. So definitely starting with asknature.org. They've got such a a great place to their stories. There's essays, there's collections on there that you can explore. But we also have a lot of materials on biomimicry.org. If you want to even just get a better grounding on what exactly it is, we've got pages for that. If you want to start working through the actual practice and learning how to identify function and mechanism and strategy in nature. We have a biomimicry toolbox that will walk you step-by-step into the design spiral. There's lots of conversations and videos on our YouTube channel. There's those animated series that I had mentioned before, which are super fun to look at. And one resource that we created as a response to the pandemic was, you know, when everyone was sheltered in place, We wanted to see how can we bring nature to their screens when they're not able to actually get out into the natural world. So we created this 30 days of reconnection and that's on our biomimicry.org site. It's actually just .org slash 30 days, but it walks you through literally 30 days, whether or not you want to do it with your family, you want to do it with a partner, any, and just friends by yourself. So there's activities there that both get you out into nature if you have the safety and availability to do so, but also there's some ideas for videos of, you know, from like BBC that you can practice some of these elements in looking from your screen into nature. We all know it's not the same thing, but it is something that helps us connect a little bit closer. So that's a great place to kind of dip your toes in some biomimicry and have a day-by-day little adventure to reconnect with the natural world and yourself. Those are some great places to start. I like that. I'm going to look into that. I really do want to try that because it's just a gentle reminder of keeping in pace with Mm -hmm. being connected to nature. That was a great idea. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) And obviously you could still, you know, try it, even though things are a little bit lighter right now with the pandemic, you can still have some kind of connection 
inside if you can't go out. Absolutely. Lex, this was so inspirational. I am so happy we were able to do this. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you, Nicole. This is, as you know, I love talking about this. I know we could talk for hours longer. It's not just a hopeful you know, pipe dream. These are real solutions that are out in the world. And that gives me so much hope and some peace and knowing that, yes, we have a lot of work to do. There is no shortage of work to go around, but we can find some direction and belief in the regaining the balance of life. If we look to nature as our collaborator and something that is our home naturally a part of. So I'm so grateful to be able to have spent this time with you and talking about this. And I look forward to you know continuing the conversation and seeing how many people can bring this kind of practice into their daily lives and into their work and hope that we get all kinds of people coming in to bring in really new creative ideas, whether or not you're in middle school or you're, you know, in that third tier of your life, there's no shortage of inspiration to go around when we're looking at nature. Oh, for sure. And I, like I said earlier, I know that there are so many people out there that do have ideas and probably don't even realize what Mm -hmm. they could do with it. Yeah. This is a great resource for them. Thank you. So thank you so much. And I would love to do maybe a follow-up one day. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be great. (laughs) Thank you, Nicole. Thanks, Lex. Thank you for listening to the Wild for Change podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please share it with others on social media. For more information about Wild for Change, please go to wildforchange.com. There you can subscribe to my blog and explore ways you can help animals and nature. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Wild for Change. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay wild and inspired. <music>